This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of CastingAcross.com where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Well, today I'm not going to talk about the quarry or the culture of fly fishing because I'm going to be talking about traditional fishing gear, and by that I mean spinning, casting, bait casting, and how it's okay. So before you turn off, flip to something much more fly fishing-y, um, hear me out. This is, this is really important because, first of all, we ought not to be so elitist and uh, so insulated that we totally shut off the possibility of using a spinning rod because and i'll talk about a few of those reasons here in a moment but first of all because it's just poor taste there is nothing wrong with using um, light tackle there's nothing wrong with using heavy tackle there's nothing wrong with using a incredibly stiff uh, casting rod and uh, 40 pound braided line and a precision engineered spinning or casting reel and uh, jerking bass off of um, uh, really deep holes and weighing them and being in tournaments. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, certainly, there are people that do those things that probably do it in the wrong way for the wrong reasons, might not be the most ethical anglers, but as a whole, as a kind of a neutral entity, that kind of fishing is totally fine. Um, it's what you do with it that is problematic. So just kind of first and foremost, there's nothing wrong with using a spinning rod. There's nothing wrong with using a treble hook. There's nothing wrong with using an awesome um, devil's horse with three treble hooks on it, um, as long as you're fishing the right way. Um, and really, at the end of the day, it comes down to how you treat the resource, not how you are treating the resource or what, how you're interacting with the, the resource. Um, if you can use a fly rod, um, you can use a fly rod in a very... Um, uh, I would, I would say cruel manner, and you can use a spinning or a uh, casting rod in a very uh, eco-friendly and environmentally conscious manner. Um, it all depends on the wielder of the item. There are 
no, uh, with, with the exception of maybe snagging hooks. And even then you could probably make an argument for a snagging hook being effective for maybe non-native or invasive species or something like that. But, you know, there's, there, fishing gear is uh, morally neutral, with the exception of the banjo minnow, that, which is morally positive. But we might talk about that later. So why, why if you fly fish, should you not only be not against um, uh, spinning gear and conventional gear, but why should you kind of keep it in the periphery of your options? Well, first and foremost, I think that that's important because a lot of us came from that world. Um, there are some folks, probably a good number of people, I'm not sure what the percentages would be, who started off fishing by fly fishing. But the majority story that I've heard um, from my circle of friends and from folks I know uh, just in social media and, and, and other things, they started using conventional tackle and they switched to fly fishing. So you shouldn't get rid of your stuff once you start fly fishing. You shouldn't say, you know, I've got $1,000 worth of conventional gear. I'm going to sell that for pennies on the dollar so I can get my first fly outfit. Hang on to it. There's value in it. Moreover, there's value in those experiences. And you want that flexibility. Fly fishing should be seen as one tool. Maybe your preferred tool. Maybe what you seriously believe is the most effective and efficient tool in your arsenal. But fly fishing should be only one tool in your arsenal for catching fish. I mean, if you want to catch catfish... Fly fishing works. I've caught catfish on the fly, but it is not the best way to catch big catfish, and you can't delude yourself and say that it is. Um, but we're not going to be talking about catfish today, although catfish would be a good subject, perhaps for another podcast on a later day. But I'm going to talk about three um, circumstances um, why uh, conventional gear might be better, and also a couple of things that you can improve your fly fishing um, with through using conventional gear tackle and methods so first of all why i use usually spinning gear i'm i'm i can do bait casting and i have some bait casting rigs but more often than not i'm using spinning gear just because of the type of fishing i do so that's kind of um for the frame of reference spinning gear and then and then spin casting when my kids are involved first of all is convenience and sometimes i need this if i'm only going out for the day i always have a uh, spinning combo in the car if i'm going to a lake or a pond um, in case the weather is gnarly. I can, I feel like even on the biggest of rivers, just the way the lay of the land is, I can make do with fly fishing. But if I'm out on open water and there's weather, I want an alternative so I don't have to just kind of give up. I can cast heavier lines and stiffer rods into a wind. It just gets to be miserable. So when the weather is not great, whether it be precipitation that is heavy or wind that is heavy, having conventional gear on standby is a way to kind of salvage a trip. And you're able to fish, not you know just engage in the act of fly fishing. You're able to actually fish when you have that conventional gear that's there. So that's the first thing. The second thing kind of ties into the first, which is ponds. If I'm uh, the, the first thing with the weather is if you're on open water, if you're out in a boat. Um, but if you're walking the perimeter of a pond, there's a lot of places, especially where I am in New England, where it's just not feasible to cast from the bank. 
So I'm not sure um, if you've seen pictures of New England, and if you have, they're probably these idyllic images of you know old church spires and uh, quaint little villages with ponds and rivers running through them. Well, those pictures are a lot like a realtor that gets really sneaky with the pictures they take, and they take the great backyard view, but they leave the toilet seat planter that's just in the periphery um, out of the image, and the uh, the creepy old tree with the um, like the skeleton hanging out of it um, that's been there since last Halloween out of the picture, because New England is mostly swamp. I love it up here, but it's mostly swamp, and it is not conducive to fly fishing on foot um, in, in most circumstances, especially for warm water species or around and ponds. So in those circumstances, uh, casting gear or spinning gear, it really excels. And you can probably find analogs to my situation anywhere in the world, especially anywhere in the United States. So that's those are reasons where, for convenience sake, having a ultralight spinning combo in the car as a backup is not the worst thing in the world. Secondly, kayaks. So I don't fish out of boats a lot. I don't fish out of drift boats. I don't fish out of skiffs. And I certainly don't fish out of kayaks a lot. But I do fish out of kayaks a handful of times in the warm weather months. Again, living in New England, the warm weather months are really that like most... Um, tight use of that plural. It's only a few months. But I do get in a kayak and I honestly don't do it enough to be comfortable in fly casting and feel like I'm getting the kind of accuracy and distance and presentation and and really even just the the, the act of, of fishing and retrieving with fly line out of a kayak that I think is as good as it should be. I just don't do it enough. But when I'm using spinning gear, I really do feel like I'm fishing well and I'm fishing to the kind of caliber that that I want to. Now this could change if I were to get a nicer kayak and I were to spend more time on the water, I probably would develop those fly fishing skills. But if you're only hopping out on a John boat or a rowboat or a kayak or a canoe every once in a while, then fly fishing, just the motion that's involved, especially in a, in a boat that doesn't take much water, so you're sitting up pretty high, you can actually pivot yourself pretty easily, especially if you don't weigh a lot. That was my experience with the very first watercraft I owned, which was a pontoon boat. So dual pontoons with a seat uh, that was in between them. And this was when I was in college, and so I'm still not very large. I wasn't very large then at all either. And I would pump these things up to um, full capacity of air, sit in the seat, go out either in moving water and still water and casting, especially a heavier rod where I kind of had to put my um, hips into it and get the thing moving, I would spin like a top on the water. And it never occurred to me to let some of the air out of the pontoons, but um, this is just one example where, you know, I didn't do it enough to get familiar with it and get comfortable with it, and so it was just frustrating. So if you're only going out on a canoe for a few days um, out throughout the year, then definitely take your spinning gear out unless you really want to buckle down and learn how to fly fish out of a canoe or a kayak um, it might be easier to take out that spinning gear um, that's that's just my experience but I think that's one situation where having that conventional gear could be more beneficial if you're not comfortable rowing paddling whatever you want to say then um, that's another reason why you know what just flicking your wrist and, and zipping that uh, you know lure out uh, 50 feet is a, one less thing to worry about than not only casting, but line management um, around your knees, around your feet when you have 
um, ores and other gear that you're not used to. So not saying it's impossible. Certainly people do it and do it very, very well and love it. Um, but if you're not going to be doing it a lot, that's one thing to think about. The third situation, and this is the one that I was engaged in earlier today before recording this podcast, is when I take my kids out. So first is convenience, second is if you're out on a boat, and thirdly is with your kids. My kids fly fish. Um, at, at the time of this recording, I have a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a little tiny baby. Uh, the baby and the two-year-old um, aren't casting fly rods yet, but the seven-year-old and the four-year-old do it, and they do it well. But there is a lot of hands-on time, especially with the four-year-old when it comes to fly casting. And that's not to say that they can't do it. They just don't have the kind of independence yet um, where if I have all me and both boys out, that they're able to both fish kind of at the same time independently, which they really enjoy. I don't get a lot of fishing in when I'm with my kids, but I understand that. that and uh, there's a lot of fun and a lot of um, enrichment and enjoyment and uh, good things that happen just watching them fish, helping them fish, enjoying nature. But that's that's kind of beside the point. But when I'm with them um, and I do bring a rod, I usually don't bring my fly rod. They're both using spin casting gear, Zebco, um, you know, 33s and, uh, um, you know, ugly sticks. And it's a lot of help them cast, help them cast, help them cast, then make one cast for myself. And um, sometimes that's just to say, oh, this lure is working. You guys need to switch to a spinner. You need to switch to a grub. You need to switch to a jig. You need to switch to a hula popper or whatever I happen to be using. But to be able to get one cast in real quick and even just kind of get that little, I feel like I went fishing fix in while they're fishing, while I'm helping them fish, it, it, it really does kind of help me persevere until the next time I get out for myself. So when I'm fishing with my kids, it allows me to carry only one set of gear, one tackle box, um, and be able to get a quick cast in. Similarly, if one of their rigs gets completely jacked up beyond recognition because they somehow were trying to cast and untangle a line and watch a butterfly and sprint and climb a tree at the same time, which is a very conservative estimation of, I think, what they are trying to do while fishing sometimes, I can say, all right, you use my rod while I undo yours. And again, this is kind of like a combo situation because when we're fishing your home, usually they're at a pond. And again, in New England, it's not like um, there's tons of open space. They're usually kind of crammed in a 10-yard spot in between trees, and they're casting virtually shoulder to shoulder with one another. So fly casting with that kind of proximity with, with each other isn't super um, comfortable, at least with the seven-year-old and the four-year-old. So having conventional gear on hand and available and more than just kind of one break glass in case of emergency outfit is helpful if you're taking kids fishing. Um, there's nothing wrong with taking kids fly fishing. My kids do it, but when we're all doing it together and we're just getting out for a few minutes, then we bring out the conventional gear. So those are three circumstances. Uh, circumstances where convenience um, kind of necessitates um, dialing back from fly gear to conventional gear. Secondly, if you're on watercraft and you're not comfortable with it. And thirdly, if you're using um, your time to take your kids out. Um, or you could probably even say someone or someones who are very inexperienced um, with fly casting and you just want to fish. You just want to catch a couple of, of, of bluegill or pickerel or something like that. Now, real quick, in the few minutes that we have left before I wrap it up, I want to talk about some kind of things that you can 
take from your conventional fishing time that will translate into your fly fishing. The first one, um, and I mentioned chain pickerel here a minute ago, um, and they've taught me something using conventional gear that I've really been able to translate into my fly fishing, and that is the speed at which aggressive predatory fish want your retrieves to be. So you think about it, you cast out with a, a topwater um, fly or a streamer that doesn't have a lot of weight on it, and you retrieve it quickly with a standard one-hand retrieve. You think, you know, you have that, you know, your, your right hand, if you're right hand caster, pinched around that line up against the cork, your left hand is stripping that in as quickly as you can. You can get that fly moving pretty quickly, but that is nothing, nothing compared to how quickly you can retrieve a uh, jerkbait or um, some, a spinnerbait or a buzzbait with a spinning reel, especially one with a good gear ratio, or a casting reel with a good gear ratio. And I have found, especially in New England, fishing with toothy critters, so pickerel and pike, that an incredibly fast retrieve is often, in the summer and fall months, what is going to trigger the most responses. So as I fly fish for those species, what have I been able to do? Not do the single hand retrieve, but do the whole bluefish striper thing where I throw that rod up under my armpit and I'm retrieving with two hands. And I found that my fly fishing for those toothy predatory species, and even species like smallmouth bass and um, some other critters, has really improved because I've been able to think, and notice that a faster retrieve works. And that's something I might have heard, but until I actually saw the speed of my buzz bait with my conventional gear moving across the water as fast as it was, eliciting the kind of strikes that it did, I didn't realize that I was gonna have to change the way I retrieve my fly line and my fly to get that same sort of response from that method of fishing. So that's, that's one thing. Secondly is depth. It is a lot easier to get a lure with a um, eighth ounce, quarter ounce weight on it to depth than it is to wait for a fly, even a heavy fly on a sinking fly line. There's just so much more resistance and casting um, uh, flies with that sort of weight on them is just, you know, gets ridiculous and you really have to ramp up your, your rod weight to accomplish that. But using conventional gear and those heavier lures, it really makes you appreciate that if you do want to fly fish, and try to get down to depth, either in a deeper river or in a still water, you are going to have to alter your gear by adding that either that density compensated line, the sink tip fly line, the poly leader, those leaders that you attach at the end of your fly line between that and the leader, that is essentially a um, you know a, a quick sink tip. Adding more weight to your flies if you tie, putting not only a bead head, cone head, but also some um, weighted wraps on those to get those flies down. That's actually changed my fly tying, and it makes me stop and think, all right, I am going to have to do both the weighted head and the weighted body on this fly um, so that it gets down because I remember back to thinking with conventional lures when I hit some of these lakes and some of these ponds up here and some where I'm out on a kayak and I'm you know, casting out and waiting one, two, three, four, five beats and that thing's sinking like a rock that to get that same sort of effect with a fly if i want to target those same fish i'm really going to have to change my gear so that's the second one the third thing and this is this is incredibly important so pay attention to this the banjo minnow i mentioned it earlier coming back to it i don't care how hokey you think it is fishing the banjo minnow has made me a better streamer fisherman 
Now, I'm not going to give away all of my um, juicy tidbits of how that is and why that is in the podcast because we're getting near to my 20-minute mark, Uh, but I'm going to put an article in the show notes of this podcast on castingacross.com where you can go in and read why a banjo minnow um, made me a better uh, fly fisherman. Um, And it's not a joke. I mean, it's funny. I mean, they're banjo minnows, for goodness sake. But um, legitimately, fishing banjo minnows with conventional spinning gear made me a better fly fisherman, especially using streamers on spring creeks for, for very, very finicky trout. So hopefully that's helpful. Hopefully that has maybe um, sanded the rough edge of your fly fishing elitism. If you have it, if you were able to last, uh, you know, 19 minutes into this podcast, but um, don't be afraid of it. It's, it's wonderful. It's, it's great to be able to have a diverse range of options of fishing um, available and at your disposal, not just for yourself, but as I said before, if you have other people involved, especially your own children, fly fishing is great. Fly fishing is wonderful. I do it with my kids, but there's times when just chucking out a spinner or even a bobber with some bait on it is the way to go. And um, you might have somebody in life that can benefit from that, but your fly fishing will benefit from thinking back to or even reintroducing conventional gear into your, your fishing world. Now to talk about a couple of the articles that appeared on castingacross.com this week. This Monday, I actually introduced a new page on castingacross.com, and it is um, small stream fly rods. So one of the articles that has been incredibly popular for a few years now is um, a rod uh, article I wrote called The Perfect Small Stream Fly Rod. There's a question mark at the end. And uh, folks clicked on those links and they have read it. And every day, a handful of people are reading that article, finding it through various other websites and links that exist out on the interwebs. So what I've done is I've consolidated some of my reviews and um, talked about four fly rods that um, I really like for small stream fly fishing. So these are mountain brooks and spring creeks. So definitely check that page out. Secondly, um, I wrote an article called... um, shiny happy fly people and it's basically about chilling out live and let live don't get so bent out of shape about how and why other people fish would be a really appropriate thing for what we talked about today but more um, to the point uh, how people fly fish and what people do and just to be really you know take a step back we're fishing we're having fun You fight the battles you need to fight, and you let the other stuff go, and just uh, realize we're out here trying to enjoy the resource, protect the resource, catch fish, and have a good time. This week's recommendation is the Careless Ethiopians YouTube channel. So I, I always feel a little bit silly when I recommend somebody who has a lot of subscribers and a lot of views already. It's like when I recommend an Orvis video that, you know, 10,000 people have watched already, it's like, what's the point? But the fact of the matter is that there's people that haven't seen it. I feel like I'm kind of plugged into the fly fishing world and some of these major manufacturers and major you know, social media outlets put something out and I miss it for whatever reason. So I might be subscribed, I just might not have watched it. And so I feel like it's important to encourage folks to check out, hey, you, know, you might have this guy in your newsfeed. Go back and make sure you watch it and pay attention. But all that to say, Ben said, the careless Ethiopian, um, you might know him uh, with this I'm a huge fly fisherman stickers and a social media account um, big part of the flyberry movement that's uh, happening 
um, you're seeing on Instagram if you follow that. But his YouTube channel is fantastic. Um, it is entertaining and educational and just good kind of lunch break fodder. So definitely check out Ben's uh, YouTube channel and uh, subscribe and follow him. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingcross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Thank you.